to the Watchman's Cry, where my dad talks about the end time. So grab your Bible and a pen and paper, and get ready for a good Bible study. Greetings, brethren. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to The Watchman's Cry. My name is Nathan Leal, and I'm up here on the wall bringing you the news, the reports, the happenings, and the information of what is coming upon the land. And coming to you from the land of darkened villages and dry riverbeds, I bid you hello, and I welcome you to another session where we uncover the truth and unlock his mysteries. And from this location, I must report that the winds of despair are blowing and the fruit of vexation is eclipsing the ground. The divine visitation has arrived. The sod of the land is ripe and ready to reap a harvest that it did not expect. They resisted and scoffed the warning message that has been cried out for years in advance and they didn't believe. They resisted and they protested heaven's plumb line. Their lips spoke to the wind and received heaven's reply. The land has been weighed, examined, and measured, and it has been found to have a bumper crop of apathy and spiritual complacency. The land is now a storehouse of blemished and darkened souls. It is found to be the land of many names. It is the land of nobody cares. It is the land of the accused. It is the land of unbelief and pretend. It is the land of imported chains and exported dreams. It is a land where virtue is rotting on the vine. The land of America has a heart that is feeble of might, and her vigilant concern has become frail. America's hills and valleys echo with the ring of heaven's alarm, and still most of the villagers do not care. Dead fish litter the shorelines. But the people say, oh well, the waters are still polluted. And I ask, what will it take to awaken the sleepers? My friends, we have crossed into a new level of intensity. We expect to see this during the time of sorrows. Over the last several weeks, this world has experienced two killer earthquakes. Two in a row, folks. This world witnessed one of the highest earthquakes ever recorded an 8.9, which was soon revised to 9.0 in the nation of Japan. And then on that same day, Japan experienced a tsunami that ravaged their land and destroyed a large part of the northeastern shore. Also on that day, we saw three volcanoes erupt, Krakatoa, another one in Japan, and another one in Russia. Also on that day of March 11th, the nation of Japan experienced nuclear reactor damage. When that tsunami arrived, the Fukushima nuclear reactor plant received a lot of water damage. And soon after that, the pumps failed, which caused the reactors to start overheating. By now, you know what's going on. You've heard that this story is still unfolding. And you know, my friends, I believe that we need to get ready to hear some very grim news as this story continues to deteriorate. It's going to affect the whole world. And based on your geographical location, this story may affect you even more. After the tsunami ravaged Japan, it reached other countries, 
and it even reached the western shore of the United States of America. It reached California. It did damage in Oregon. Folks, we are witnessing a wake-up call. Attention, coastlines of America. That was just a tickle of what's in store. And I know that some may say, man, this sounds like doom overload. My friends, I agree. We are. But this is what I have been warning about for several years. Because the judgment train of God was going to arrive. And as it did arrive, we were going to see a sequence of events that were going to grow more and more intense and more ominous. That were going to cause more and more grief and sorrow. My friends, we're there now. We are in a situation. Every resident of this planet is in a situation. In spite of the apathetic news that wishes to lie and downplay all of the things happening around us right now, the stories are going to continue to be written on news headlines around the world. And as I have been watching them unfold since the very beginning of this year, the year of 2011 started with a bang with the dead animals and has not subsided at all. Week after week, there's a new story. This week, there's a story. Last week was another incredible story. The week before, the week before. So as we look forward, if you had a calendar in front of you and you looked at every week, my friends, you could get a pen out and write another story that's going to happen in that week because they're coming. What are they going to be? What's going to happen? Well, stay tuned. Keep watching. As long as you're alive, you're going to witness it. But I also advise this, my friends. Put on your seatbelt because the ride is going to get very, very bumpy. Now, on this program, I'm going to talk about the things happening in Japan and some of the other recent events that have just started. The UN has given the green light for NATO and some of the Arab League nations to start bombing Libya. Folks, we are witnessing the land shake. We're witnessing earth changes. And how many can remember a few weeks ago when we saw that odd anomaly on the CNN Rachel Maddow news broadcast, the green horse, the weird-looking apparition that many of us concluded was not an apparition, so to speak. But I have said and I've stated that I believe that that was a sign. And the sign that it represented was the sign of the pale horse. And, folks, the pale horse represents war. And when that thing showed up on that newscast, I stated back then, and I still believe it now, that green-looking horse was a sign to the world that war was coming to this planet. A pale horse means war. The UN gave the green light for war to begin in Libya. Where is this going to go? Is it going to be short-lived? Or is it going to be the beginning of war that's going to spread to neighboring countries? I don't know, folks. But we are in the days of the shaking of the land. And therefore, none of us can afford to be goofing off. None of us can afford to be taking things lightly. None of us can afford to be participating in the commerce of fleshly indulgence in the land. Folks, as you watched the event happen in Japan, many of you saw the little cars that were tossed to and fro, caught in the waves of the tsunami. Some of those cars had people in them. Some of them might have survived, but we know that some of them did not survive. We know that a lot of people did not survive. And that's the thing that happens when the land gets stirred with the hand of God. The judgment of God always, my friends, always, always, always has a body count. That means that for some, they are dwelling in the land of too late. And since they are not paying attention, 
Some people do become statistics. Do I say this to, to bring you down? Do I say this to bring sadness to you? No, my friends. This message that you're hearing right now is a wake-up call. And my prayer is that it would be a warning bell, an alarm clock to wake up the last remaining ones that may be still sleeping. None of you can afford to treat the day's events as business as usual. Folks, we are no longer in a regular time period. Now, every one of us is on a road or a path. And every one of us is also participating in the paving of their road. You are participating in your road's condition. You're participating in your path. And your path has a destination. And here's the amazing thing about the path of life. Most humans proceed on their path without direction. Most people are are on their journey without a map. My friends, the path of most humans is not the yellow brick road. And sadly, most people are on a highway that has not been maintained in a while. Most people are on a, a highway that is paved with stones, stones that are heavily worn, stones that are engraved with the prints of so many that have gone before them on the same journey. The road is heavily traveled, and this road is littered with shattered dreams. And also, on this road can be howling creatures that hide in the shadows, creatures that lay in wait for an opportunity to pounce on the people. Today, we are going to talk about the road, and we're going to talk about the path that you're on, the path that I am on. And we're going to take inventory of this path. We're going to look down at our feet. We're going to look ahead into the path's future. We're going to focus on some of the things on our path. Why are we doing that? Because, my friends, right now, it is so, so important that we get an understanding that the condition of the path that we are on is going to affect how we are able to continue in our journey. It's going to affect how healthy our journey is. It's going to affect how dangerous the future of our journey is going to become. It's going to affect the foothold that we have to the ground. It's going to affect how slippery the road will be. And during the days of judgment, when the earth is shaking, when the earth is moving, we need to be aware of how stable our feet are on the road, on our journey. We're all pilgrims, folks. That means that we are mortals. And even though the world feels free to give license to everyone to think that they are indestructible, our lives are very, very fragile. The story in Japan proves that. So I want to talk about our mortality today. And I'm going to talk about the path today. Folks, the land is not finished moving. More quakes are coming. There is more shaking in the land. I know that's not what some of you want to hear, but unfortunately, even though some people want to concentrate on basketball season or football season or baseball season, folks, the real season occurring right now on this planet is the season of the visitation of God's judgment. Knowing the scores of the seasons of earth is not as important as knowing the situation of the season of God. And my friends, this season is going to be a season of very loud noises. It's going to be a season of alarms that will sound. The sorrows have begun, and now the sorrow is going to grow louder. It's a season of birth pangs 
contractions that are going to increase in frequency. And even though we want to kick and scream and cry foul and say, I'm not ready for this. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to face this. My friends, God wants us to be aware of it. He gave us the sign at the beginning of the year when he allowed the birds and the fish to begin littering the ground and the shores. He gave us the sign. He gave us the hint to know that the season had changed. Hosea 4.3 talks about it. And I have talked about this over and over for the past several months. The land is going to mourn. The land is going to languish. We're not finished, folks. So your job is not to turn off this program and ignore reality. Your job is to become vigilant, to become aware of what's in store for all of us. And your job is to get prepared for what's coming for the next phase that is going to appear on the stage of this planet. If you have children, you have no time to be wasting in denial right now. Mom, dad, it is your job to be holding up your children in prayer right now as I speak. Because that radiation cloud that has been exploded in Japan could come to your town. And it doesn't matter how rich you are or how famous you are, or how cool you are, or how beautiful or pretty or good looking. It doesn't matter, folks. That radiation cloud does not care who you are. If it's approaching your village or your town, there's only one thing you need to be doing, and that's getting a hold of God, getting to a new level with God, getting spiritually prepared, getting spiritually restored and strengthened so that God will hear your prayer to protect your family and your children and your loved ones. That's what time it is right now, folks. Now, again, last Friday, March 11th, 2011, God shook the earth. The earth ripped open off the shore of Japan. A 150-mile crack ripped open. It was 50 miles wide. Japan was moved 8 feet. Some reports say 10 feet, but Japan moved a little bit closer to, to the United States of America. Think about that, folks. An entire island nation moved. I wonder if they'll give a discount to people flying in an airplane, taking a flight from America to Japan since it's eight feet closer. What do you think, folks? You think they'll pass that on, that savings on to the consumer? Or is there not enough to be saved in that one? Right now, Japan is in a nuclear emergency. The world is watching. The world's getting concerned. The world is getting nervous. How is this thing going to play out? What's the worst case scenario? Now, on my Survive to Thrive program that comes out on Tuesdays, I shared a few ideas of how bad it can get. I didn't really go a lot into detail. We were just starting to learn about how serious the story was last Tuesday. So we talked about some of the potential. And now the fears of those potentials are being talked about on mainstream news. I noticed when some of the talking heads discuss the worst-case scenarios, they get uncomfortable. They seem to only be able to stomach just a few minutes talking to an expert, and then they want to change the subject. Are they doing that because they want to sanitize and not let us know how bad it really is, or can they not handle the truth? Probably a little bit of both, but I saw one professor saying, let's talk about the worst-case scenario because we need to really let the public know about the worst-case scenario, and they were quickly squelched. They were silenced, and they said, well, we're not in the worst-case scenario, so let's not jump to conclusions. Interesting, huh, folks? Interesting that the average Westerner can fire up their huge suburban Yukon SUV 
And the worst case scenario is shoved down our throats in that regard. Don't you know that you're warming the globe with your big tank right there? Turn it off. So a car is very dangerous, and, and we hear about that all the time. Carbon tax, the electricity generation plants that use coal are destroying the planet. There's a worst case scenario. The planet is going to warm to the point where all the caps melt. The North Pole and the South Pole are going to become liquid. The ocean's going to rise and flood us all. So we hear the worst case scenarios from benign things like cars and coal plants or your can of hairspray. Your aerosol is poisoning the earth. Don't you know what you're doing? Interesting, huh, folks? So they'll take a benign thing, make up stories that aren't true and get paranoid and scare people. But when we have a real emergency, when we have real nuclear radiation being emitted into the atmosphere, floating across the globe, poisoning the residents of this earth, they don't want us to worry about it. So the person that wants to really know what's going on is going to have to do some digging, possibly get on the Internet and look at a lot of the news sites. And I've been doing that, folks. I've been looking around a lot. I've actually had to go to Japanese TV and listen to the interpreter of how bad it really is. So, folks, we need to be considering how bad it can become. What if it does melt down? Will the news tell us? Will the government of your country tell you? How many remember a few months ago the Deepwater Horizon exploded in the Gulf of Mexico? And then we had the Gulf eruption, the Gulf spill, the Gulf leak, whatever you want to call it. Hundreds of millions of gallons of crude oil poisoned the Gulf of Mexico. And then millions of gallons of Corexit poison was sprayed into the Gulf of Mexico, killing the Gulf of Mexico, turning it into a dead zone, evaporating into the sky. The vapors came upon the shores of Gulf states, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida. The stories have not abated. We still hear the tales of people dying, getting sick with boils and sores that won't heal, bruises that won't go away, and death that finds them in the night unexpectedly. The Gulf spill has poisoned the waters of America. That story is continuing, but most people no longer want to hear about it. And the news downplayed it. There was a media blackout. So the story got old. It expired. And the short attention spans of America no longer wanted to hear about it. So they don't. And now we have a new eruption of bad news. The radiation is leaking from Japan right now, folks. How is it going to play out? Well, for those of you that are old enough to remember Chernobyl, for those of you that are researchers at heart, we know how it may play out. Even though Chernobyl has said it was only a few hundred people that died from that accident, history tells a different story. And there are several investigative journalists that have taken the statistics of the sickly ones in Europe and have concluded that the death toll from Chernobyl is actually over a million people. Deformed children, babies and little ones with chronic illnesses, food that still cannot be eaten from those areas. Animals that cannot be sold if they came from those areas because they're contaminated with radiation. That's what we're going to see out of this one. We're going to see a long, long tale of woe from many people that are going to be poisoned with this thing. Folks, if these reactors melt down to the level where they become pools of liquid in the ground, a lot of poison's going to go into the atmosphere. And that poison is going to go to China, to Korea, to Australia. The winds blow south or, or west. 
Or if they get caught up in the trade winds and the jet stream, they're going to bullseye right over to the Aleutians of Alaska, scrape Alaska. They'll cross Canada, and the full brunt of it most likely will cross the United States of America, starting on the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California. As that radiation cloud crosses over the land of America, and as it rains down upon the land of America, this is what's going to happen, folks. The crops of America, the grass, the vegetation, any living thing that it rains on is going to be contaminated. So here's something to be thinking about right now, folks. Not to just be listening and forgetting about. Folks, this piece of information that I'm about to tell you needs to have a huge adjustment in your budget for the possibility to deal with. And that is this. If it rains on the crops of America, the crops will be useless. They'll be poisoned. They will not be able to be harvested. We won't be able to eat them. That means the citrus, the trees, the almonds, the the olives in California. And as that radiation cloud continues to move east, it's going to cross into the breadbasket of America, Kansas, Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin. And if it rains on the breadbasket, the wheat, the grains, they're going to be contaminated, folks. All the, the hay and alfalfa that the cattle industry needs to feed on will be useless. Or if the cows do eat the hay and the grass, it's going to be contaminated. So that contamination will end up in the cow's milk. If farmers are not vigilant, if some slip through, that milk's going to be put into containers and shipped off to Safeway. And then the five-year-olds of America are going to pour that milk into a bowl and mix it with their Captain Crunch and eat radiation. Folks, I know that sounds scary, but this is reality right here. Will the FDA be on top of that? Now, some people might say, well, it's so minute, it's just like getting an x-ray in that one dose, so don't worry about it. Well, is that per glass of milk an an x-ray? Is that what that means? Or does it mean per gallon of milk it's an x-ray? Or does it mean per teaspoon? Already I have seen the news whitewash the contamination levels because what I'm seeing in Japan, the levels are very, very high, folks. They're deadly. The workers can only be around the pools of the overheating fuel rods for 16 seconds before fatal radiation gets to them. 16 seconds. The isotopes are that hot now. So getting back to the food, this happens to the food. What are you going to do? What are you going to drink? What are you going to put in your raisin bran? Think about it, folks. So vigilance is what we need to have. We need to be knowledgeable. We need to be praying and asking God for wisdom. Can God protect you from the radiation? Of course he can. What if an individual says, I'm just going to trust God. I'm not going to worry about it, and I'll just bless this food and eat it. But their spiritual life is a train wreck. It's full of lust and pride and the sins of the flesh. And they're immersed in their darkness and their secrets. But they believe that everything's fine. So they just bless their food. Well, God may protect them or he may not. But you know what, folks? Do you want to take that chance to roll a spiritual dice and assume that all is well? Folks, I'm throwing out some thought-provoking information, but you need to think about these things. We all need to think about them. My friends, I have been thinking about these very things a lot over the past week. I've been doing a lot of examining of all the facts. I've been doing a lot of praying. I've been doing a lot of seeking. I'm doing my part, folks, but I'm presenting this information right now to hopefully get you to think. So, again, what happens, folks, if the health of our crops of America are affected with radiation? Can you imagine that, folks? Farms of of America 
have crops, but we have famine in the land because we can't eat it. How ironic. This is the challenge that I want to throw to all of you. And really, really consider this. If in the next few days one of those reactors explodes and the core of those reactors and all its contents is thrown into the air, into the atmosphere, that is going to be taking this situation to the highest alert level. Folks, we're talking everything's going to change. And it could very well be that the American crops can be contaminated. So I want to throw this out right now as a challenge. If we hear that one of the reactors explodes, I would very strongly recommend, challenge, and admonish every one of you that are listening to get into your car and go to the store and buy food to sustain you for as long as possible because a lot of food might not be available. Get yourself several months of dried milk. Get yourself frozen food, even boxed food. It doesn't matter what it is, but get yourself some food, folks. In addition to that, the uh, radiation is expected to come down on the ground as rain. So depending on how airtight your house is, if we hear that one of the reactors explodes, it would be very wise if you get drafts in your windows, in your doors. Those all have to be covered up and uh, get some poly plastic that's at least six mil. Not the thin stuff that tears easy. Get the thick plastic and get duct tape and and line your windows with this duct tape and plastic so that none of the drafts can come in. I know this sounds radical and crazy, but this is where we're at right now. Also get extra water. There's a good chance that tap water sources could be contaminated. I also advise you to go to websites, Google what to do in the event of radiation. I believe there's one website that has a few articles of advice. It's called KI, the letter K and the letter I, and then the number four and then the letter U. So it's KI4U.com. That website sells potassium iodide pills. Unfortunately, they are sold out. They had six million vials and they're all gone now. There is a run on potassium right now. Also, find out the alternative sources of places you can get iodine. Now, on my Survive to Thrive show, I had Darren Craddock, who's a nutritional expert, share some of the alternative ways to get iodine in your body. And if you want to hear the details of that, you can go to my website at watchmanscry.com, go to the audio page, and then go to the Survive to Thrive link, and that program is up there. I believe it was the March 15th program, and you can listen to that. So, folks, right now, we can't afford to be taking this thing lightly. The most susceptible to radiation poisoning are going to be the young, the very, very young, and the elderly, because their immune systems will be overrun with the radiation in their thyroids. So, right now, my friends, please take this matter seriously. Also, I want to say this. Ask your doctor if it's okay, in case some of you might have an allergy to iodine, And if you do have an allergy to iodine, most likely you already know it because you're allergic to fish or or shellfish. If you're on a Synthroid drug, be aware that you cannot take an iodine supplement. Now, folks, I do not want to see that radiation cloud come here. I do not. And I have been praying hard that it will not happen. However, I'm not in charge. None of us are in charge. And just because we don't want it to happen does not mean that it will not happen. One of the strikes that we have against us as citizens of the land, as residents of America, if you happen to abide here, is that America is under judgment right now. And God could indeed use the event in Japan with the radiation cloud to judge America. He could do it, folks. So I would love to see the probability not exist, but 
right now we are in an improbable time. And right now, anything can happen. That's what this program and this ministry is about. The watchman's cry, crying out, folks, it is approaching the land. So therefore, my friends, during this season of judgment, we are going to see images of deterioration over America and over other villages, over other countries. Folks, it seems one by one, God is judging nation after nation. Australia, Queensland had massive flooding, record-breaking flooding. They had storms, they had fires, they had droughts. And then New Zealand, Christ Church, was shaken. And now we have Japan being shaken. Last year, there were other nations that were shaken. Folks, this season is upon us now. So where's the next place? Which country's next? My friends, again, right now, anything is possible. I believe that there's going to be devastating earthquakes. More of them. Has the ring of fire been kindled? I don't know, folks. Could it happen in the Midwest of America? The, the new Madrid Fault? Is, is that going to go? What about Yellowstone? What about Alaska? Folks, it could be anywhere. And I hope that if you are a person that is intimate with God, He will warn you and prepare you to get ready or even to possibly relocate because some things may be in store for your area. Folks, that's the time zone that we're in right now. The transmission between you and God needs to be trouble-free, no interruption. And that's what the judgment's about, folks. God judges his church. He purges his church. He chastises his church so that we can get rid of the areas of our lives that really do not need to be there. And he does it with mercy to give us a chance. And then he turns up the heat. The Bible says he's going to do that. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. It's going to happen, folks. So how are we going to endure this thing? How are you going to endure it? And as God shakes his church, after that, he also shakes the world. That's what we see happening now as well. And my heart's cry and the passion that I have within is to encourage all that will listen to feed information to those that need the information, to offer the portion that God allows me to hear. If I can help any of you gain understanding, to make sense of what's going on right now, then I'm doing my job. The Psalms 91 bubble is the prayer I have for you. Now, I have said this for several years. Psalms 91 is a promise of protection in the event of turmoil in the world, but it doesn't happen automatically. It's not a, a proclamation that happens just by staring at a poster. It doesn't happen just because you place a bumper sticker on your car that quotes Psalm 91. It doesn't happen for you just because you wear the t-shirt that quotes the verse. Psalms 91 is a lifestyle, my friends. A lifestyle. I challenge you to let this psalm become burned into your heart, ingrained into your spirit. Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. He's like an umbrella over you. You can read it. That's your homework, folks. Let it become a prayer that you offer up in supplication unto God. But again, getting back to this, do you have your Psalms 91 bubble reinforced? Have you been praying this? Is your lifestyle to the point where God would say, yes, I will cover you? Verse 1 of Psalms 91 says this, folks. He that dwells in the secret place. That's the condition right there. The secret place. What is the secret place? The secret place is your time alone with God. It's you seeking Him on your knees, crying out to Him. 
That's the secret place. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep prayers right before you go to bed for two seconds. I'm talking about spending time because it says he that dwells. That means you hang out there, folks. If you're not used to being there, if you're not used to getting on your knees for longer than 30 seconds, then may I challenge you to get into the habit where you learn how to dwell there? Folks, once you learn how to do it, it can become a very desirous and pleasant encounter between you and your God. And I want to challenge you to do that. If you happen to be a new listener, my website is watchmanscry.com. And you can go there and go to the audio page and listen to many of the sermons that I have there that talk about these very things. I've gone into detail over the last few years of the different categories of judgment that are coming. So go to the website and listen to the other messages. Also, I want to say this. If this message, this ministry blesses you, Please ask God about helping to support Watchman's Cry. Our address is Watchman's Cry, P.O. Box 157, Priest River, that's two words, Idaho, 83856, or you can go to watchmanscry.com and contact us there. Now, I have a message that's coming, and I'm going to share a message that is going to be very, very enlightening to those of you that are hungry for God, because some of you may be saying right now, Nathan, I do want to to dwell there. I would like to dwell there, but my life's a mess. My life's a wreck. I've messed up so much, and I want God's protection for me, but I've made a mess of everything. If that's you, my friend, then this message is for you. If you might be saying, Nathan, I'm not as strong as I want to. I feel like I've lost my first love. I want to recapture that so that I can have Psalms 91. If that's you, my friend, then this message is also for you. Now, as we begin... I want to preface what I'm about to share with saying this. Every one of you are at different spiritual levels. Many of you have been vigilant for a while. Many of you have been on board with the preparation message for years. Perhaps some of you are new to this message. You want answers. You're concerned. Some of you are starting to get concerned. Some of you are very worried. Some of you are fearful. We're all there, folks, because it's the unknown that we're facing right now. Some of you may be tired. Some of you may even feel worn out. Some of you maybe have recently stumbled and fell spiritually. Cares of life are overwhelming you. You don't have that yearning for God that you once had. Now, I'm mentioning all of these things, my friends, because I know that there are many of you out there. And all of these conditions that I'm talking about are caused by a variety of things. But they all have one thing in common, and that is this, my friends. I believe that we all need an encounter with God right now, a spiritual breakthrough. God wants to touch you. He is still the remedy. There's still hope for you. Now, do you ever wonder if if the spiritual giants that we read about in, in the Bible and the scriptures and the servants of God, do you ever wonder if they got defeated, if they felt lonely and hard-pressed and sad? And the reason that I ask that is because Perhaps some of you might feel defeated and and you wonder if you're the only one and you want to get out of your struggle. You want to get rid of that condemnation. You want to get rid of the enemy that's whispering to you. You know what I'm talking about when he says, you loser, you're never going to get back to how it once was. The enemy will say that to you. And I want you to know this. You're not alone. Discouragement happens to everyone. And every mighty man and woman of God has experienced defeat, doubt, and fear. So 
Today, in this message, we're going to look at an individual who went through discouragement. So let's take a look at this now. I want to talk about a mighty man of God. And, of course, if you've read the title of this message, you already know that it's about John the Baptist. Now, he was born a few months before Jesus. He was the cousin of Jesus, and he started his ministry before Jesus, and he had a very, very powerful anointing. He had an anointing that was one of the most special in the Bible because his anointing was transitional. And what that means is his anointing was for the purpose of joining the Old Testament dispensation to the New Testament. He was the prophet that bridged the two dispensations together by announcing the Lamb of God, who was Jesus. And his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What an awesome privilege that he had. In order for him to accomplish this, God gave him a very, very powerful anointing. And it was prophesied in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1, about the anointing John would have. And let me just read that right now. Malachi 3, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that and follow along. Malachi 3, 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So that's the prophecy of John the Baptist. The next part of that verse is the prophecy about Jesus. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple. So the first two lines of verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, is talking about John the Baptist. If we move over to chapter 4 in Malachi and look at verse 5, we can read, the second to the last verse in the Old Testament. And again, it talks about John the Baptist. So go to Malachi 4, 5, and look what it says there, folks. Here it is, verse 5. Behold, I send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So this is prophesying what kind of anointing he was going to have. The anointing that this is mentioning is the anointing of Elijah. And Elijah had a very powerful anointing. Now, this is not saying that Elijah was going to get reincarnated. It's not New Age and Eastern mysticism. It's talking about the anointing that was going to be on him. And Scripture interprets Scripture. So if we go to Luke chapter 117, that's exactly what it tells us. So now move to Luke 117. And I know that we're jumping around to different Scriptures, but I'm trying to lay down a foundation. You're going to see why I'm doing this in a moment, okay? So now go to Luke 117. And it's going to explain that this is an anointing that it's talking about. Hey there, folks. Now, when the angel appeared to John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, the angel told him that John the Baptist was going to be very special. In fact, let's go two verses earlier, verse 15, Luke 1, 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And that's what we just read in Malachi, the prophecy about John the Baptist. Verse 17, look at this, folks. He will also go before him in the spirit of and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So in verse 17, it says that he would have the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, think about this, folks. John was very, very anointed. He was full of God. Now, what does that mean? If John was full of the Holy Spirit and the power of Elijah, that means that he was full of victory. It means that he was full of joy he was full of power. He was full of boldness to tell King Herod he was an adultery. And he didn't care what anybody thought about him. When he saw Jesus coming to the Jordan River, 
He declared prophetically, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he baptized Jesus. He knew who Jesus was because he had the anointing inside of him. He knew that Jesus was Messiah. So he was on top of the mountain spiritually. He wasn't all depressed. He was confident in God. He was bold in God. So John was very, very strong. But then something happened, and this is what happened. Because he rebuked King Herod, he got arrested, and he was sent to prison. John was in there for a while. Weeks went by. Months went by. And when he was in prison, he was no longer as free as he was in the wilderness. Now, we do know that he did have access to his disciples. They were able to visit him, but he was no longer out in the wilderness preaching the gospel, preaching repentance and baptizing people. So as his days in the prison cell began to linger and grow from one day to the next, something started happening to John. Eventually, discouragement and doubt came to John. Do you know that, folks? It happened to him. And when John was in a prison cell, he was probably wondering, why am I here so long? I didn't think I'd be waiting this long. I thought that Jesus was going to become king. This is what's interesting about the gift of the prophetic. The Bible says we only know in part and prophesy in part. So even though John prophetically knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God and he was Messiah and thy kingdom come was going to happen through Jesus, he didn't really have all the pieces of the puzzle together. And based on what I'm about to show you, it's possible that John believed that Jesus was going to become the king of Israel, take over Israel and set things straight, and then let him out of prison. John might have thought that at the beginning. So when he initially got arrested, that might have been in his mind. He was thinking, I'm not going to be here long, no problem. But then he didn't get taken out. And the weeks and the months went by to the point of finally John found himself discouraged. And when his disciples came and visited him in prison, he shared his discouragement with them and he asked them to go to Jesus and to ask Jesus a question. Because now he was confused. God, I'm lonely here. It's dark. What's going on? I, I'm discouraged. And spiritual logic would tell us that if John got discouraged in his prison cell, then it's very possible that the anointing, the powerful Elijah anointing that he had when he was baptizing people had begun to evaporate and his well was starting to run dry of the anointing that gave him confidence. So now he was sad. He was doubting. So when he sent his disciples to Jesus, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 11. And I want us to look at this part of the story now. So go to Matthew chapter 11 and look what happens right here, folks. Matthew 11, verse 1. Are you there, folks? Now look at this. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? That was John's question, folks. Let me read that again. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now think about those words, folks. Look for another? In other words, he's saying, Jesus, should I look at you, or should I look for another? Wow. Folks, think about that. How many people out there in the world are looking for another? How many? How many people throughout the land are, are chasing the dream? They're chasing that thing, seeking earth's reward, looking for a treasure that, that you can hold in your hand? Jesus, are you him? Or do I keep looking? 
How many people have heard the words, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Jesus will, will tell you the truth. Jesus will give you life. But then the people say, uh, no thanks. I'll keep looking elsewhere. And then they walk on a path with their own paving stones and they stumble and they trip and they get bruised. How many hear that Jesus is the way, but they say, no, I'll make my own way. So they make their own way looking and they grow old and tired, still looking and they never find it. Jesus, are you him or do I look for another? That's what John the Baptist asked. Now, when Jesus heard that John had that question, did he get offended? Did Jesus get bothered? Did Jesus think to himself, well, doesn't John remember? He baptized me. He called me the Lamb of God, that knucklehead. What did Jesus do when he was given that question? Well, first of all, when Jesus was given that question by the disciples, since Jesus is God and he can see everything and he's omnipresent, omniscient, and he knows everything, he saw John in the spirit. And he saw John sitting in a in a dark cell all alone, feeling abandoned, feeling lonely, feeling confused and, and scared and wondering, when's Jesus going to come get me out of here? Jesus saw John languishing away with no freedom. He saw John thinking, Jesus, I'm still here and I'm putting more X's on the wall. And where's my victory, Jesus? Where's the great escape that's coming? Jesus, what's going on? I don't understand. I did so much for God. I had so many great times. And now here I am and I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. My friends, how many out there have assumptions? And have also had victories, mighty moments. But then things happened. Events happened. And the prison doors were open and they were thrown inside a a dark cell. And the door was slammed shut. And the door was locked. And they stood on their feet and looked through bars, wondering what's going on. And saying to themselves, God, where are you? Discouragement had arrived to the mighty man of God. And Jesus could have translated to John's cell, he could have said to his 12 disciples, uh, excuse me, I'll be back in a moment and snapped his fingers, disappeared and then appeared in the prison cell of John. He could have appeared glowing white in his robe and John could have looked up and said, oh, Lord, it is you. And Jesus could have said, John, hang in there. It's going to be OK. Don't worry and don't be fearful. OK, I got to go now. See ya. Jesus could have done that, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Why didn't he, folks? The man that blazed the trail for the Messiah, Jesus just let him stay there? Well, here's the answer, folks. And I'm about to share some things with you that I hope as I share them will really, really make an effect on your life and give you the victory that you need. And light the candle, rekindle the flame, refill your vessel, your lamp with what you need from God. Now, the way that Jesus dealt with John In giving him a remedy, God gave the remedy and he treated John in a way that would give a remedy for every believer that has been born since then. He gave a recipe and a formula so that we could all benefit from and one that we could use to encourage others. Now, folks, please watch this and pay very close attention because there is a mighty secret that we're going to look at and discover in the next few moments. There is also a principle here 
that if we can get a hold of it, will take us to a deeper level with God as a, a disciple. So first of all, know this, folks. God loves secrets. He loves buried treasure. He loves to hide the deep things. Why? So that the blind ones and those that would misuse his truths would not have easy access to them. Because access to God's truth and the remedy to our earthly hurts and situations is precious. And it's only available to those that are seeking his pearls. So he hides them from the crowd and he reveals them to his children. Now, back to that passage of scripture in Matthew 11. Let's look at how Jesus responded. If you have your Bibles reading in Matthew 11:4, and Jesus answered and he said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Verse five. Now watch this, folks. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who is not offended of me. Verse seven. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, and I'll stop there. So they departed after Jesus said to them, go tell John, the blind see the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed. Basically, all these signs are taking place. Go tell John about the signs that are happening. So that's what they took back to John. Now, why did Jesus say that? How is that supposed to comfort poor old John who's riding in the prison cell? How's it supposed to encourage him? What did this mean? I can imagine the disciples of John hearing that from Jesus and saying, uh... Okay, Jesus, we'll go tell him what you said. And then they walk away saying, huh, we don't get it. How is that supposed to help John? And another truth about Jesus that we must all understand and get a hold of is that Jesus knows every part of Scripture. And when he was walking the earth, he knew every part of Scripture. He knew every word in the Old Testament. And many of the words that he shared were scripture in action, out in the open, but but hidden. And many times when Jesus gave words or phrases or, or sentences, he was sharing quotes from the Old Testament. And here's what's interesting, folks. Most people do not catch it. Why? Well, it's very simple, because they don't read their Bible. And I don't say that to be insulting, folks. I'm just telling the truth here. In a lot of the words of Jesus, he would say one word or three words or five words or one sentence. And it was quoting a verse in the Old Testament. And he would use it to entangle the Pharisees and turn their little riddle around. Jesus was very, very clever. The stories and the words and the quotes that Jesus does from the scripture are so magnificent, full of wisdom and light. It's incredible, folks. And I've shared about this several times in the past. Hopefully in the future, we can take one by one some of those elements. But but back to John. Now, Jesus answered in a cryptic way. Why did Jesus say that? Well, here's why, folks. What he was doing was quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, chapter 35, chapter 61. There's prophecies in Isaiah about what the Messiah would do when he walked the earth. So Jesus was quoting his signs that he was performing, which when the disciples of John went back to John, Jesus knew that John was very familiar with the Old Testament and probably with the book of Isaiah. And it's possible that together they might have even studied the scriptures together as they were growing up. So when Jesus said that, the blind see the lame walk, he was quoting from Isaiah. And I want to now focus on one of the passages of Isaiah 
where Jesus was quoting from. And the one I want to focus on is in Isaiah 35. And in the remainder of this message, we are going to look at some secrets that are hidden in Isaiah 35. And we're about to see a whole new world that's incredible, folks. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 35. Okay, you there, folks? Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6. Now, I'm going to read 5 and 6 first, and then I'm going to share some other parts of this same chapter. Starting in verse 5 and 6, there's a prophecy. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. So, right there is a prophecy of what the Messiah would do when God would come as Messiah. So when Jesus sent that back to John, this is what Jesus was trying to say to John. And the reason it's recorded in Scripture is because Jesus did this as a hint to John and also to all Christians that the answer is always in the Scripture, my friends. And Jesus wanted John to discover comforts, get his victory from the Scriptures. And in addition to John, he also wants you, my friend, to find comfort and strength from the scripture. Now, I'm not talking about intellectual comfort where you quote a verse that sounds poetic. No, the word of God is living. It is alive. And the words in scripture can pierce our souls. They can pierce our hearts and they can cut out the pain. Now, let's read the passage found in Isaiah 35. And let's look at this, folks, because there is so much in this passage that I believe this, my friends, I believe that God is going to, with this word, is going to be able to minister to you as we look at this. Now, let's start with verse 1. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Now, I'm not going to read the next few verses. This is talking about the, the land of Zion in the desert around Zion, and when Messiah comes and when God brings his redemption to the world, the deserts of the earth are going to be restored during his millennium period. So he's talking about Zion right there, the future world of Zion. But in addition to Zion, God is also talking about something else. This passage has a double meaning. Verse 1 is talking about our lives without God. Because without God, you will be a wasteland. You will be decrepit. You'll be famished in your soul. Without God, we will walk. And just like the message of John initially, when John said, are you him or do we look for another? Without God, you will be looking and seeking for another, but you will be wasting time. You will be wasting money, your vitality. On the path without God, you will waste your youth, your health. And eventually, as the days continue, you will be wasting years of your life, chasing dreams that leave the inside empty and unsatisfied, always on a quest, always traveling, but never quite getting there. And a life like that is a wilderness. My friends, I share this truth. Wastelands of life are a reality for so many people. And denial is not going to change that. The lifestyles reveal the truth. Now, when Jesus referred John back to Isaiah 35, was Jesus including John in this verse of a wasteland? Was Jesus saying, John, you're a wasteland? No, but he was showing that he could help John in his situation to get out of prison and to escape. No, but instead to give John the strength to face whatever 
was in his life. And my friends, we face some things in this life that are going to be hard struggles. And as we look at the news right now, there is no argument that we have a hard struggle ahead of us. And as we read further in this passage, we can read about some of these struggles. And let's look at them. Now, as we read in verse 5 and 6, the eyes of the blind shall be open. Verse 6, the lame shall leap. But verse 6 then goes on to say, for waters shall burst forth in the wilderness. Waters. Now, the wasteland, desert wilderness that I'm talking about, my friends, places the people in a famished, dry condition where their soul is empty of God and empty of the comfort of God and empty of the peace of God and the joy of God. The famished soul has none of it. And therefore, they need a touch from God. My friends, the drink that God offers is a water that when partaken of can fill the inside of a soul and remove the emptiness and take away the loneliness with new realization that God is alive and resurrect them to face the days with strength and with peace. The waters shall burst forth in the wilderness. Jesus said, if you drink the water that I offer, you will never thirst. He said that to the lady at the well. Jesus offers a drink that is better than any drug, better than alcohol. He offers a drink that brings peace to a fearful soul. Water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The stream of God, my friend, that flows from his throne. And that stream, once we partake of it, will rejuvenate the lean soul that we have, the parched lips that we have. So many in the world go forth. They go forth on their path and they tolerate the emptiness. They accept the darkness. Folks, it need not be that way because God has the remedy. In verse 7, the parched ground shall become a pool. The parched ground. Every soul that is empty of God is away from God. Every soul that is not partaking of the secret place of God, it is parched ground. And God was telling John, John, you're discouraged right now. Your heart's a little sad right now. But I have the stream that I can give back to you, John. John, partake of the well. Let my water, my living water, pour over you and strengthen you and rejuvenate you. And it goes on. And the thirsty land springs of water. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. The thirsty land, my friends. How many lives are parched in thirsty land? How many lives are empty, discouraged in thirsty land? How many of you are dwelling in a thirsty land? You're wounded. The shackles of life are around your feet. The oppressors of life have bruised your heart and your soul. You've gotten hurt and you find yourself thirsty. My friend, in our life, there is a path. And I was talking about the path earlier. There is a a trail before all of us. There's a highway before all of us. And all of us are on a road. We have a choice of a road. And if we're living a parched life, that road is going to contain the other people that are in parched lives. You will see them walking beside you. You will see them walking in front of you. You'll see them laying on the side. They can't go any further, bruised and battered themselves. You'll see some of them with hollow eyes looking and staring at nothing. And also on that road, my friends, there's something I need to show you. Well, let me read verse 7 again, and then I will continue with the rest of it. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. 
in the habitation of jackals where each lay. There shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Now, I'm reading out of the New King James right now, but in the King James Version, it says, in the habitation of dragons where each lay. Now, folks, I want to show you something. In the world where people want to be independent and have confidence in their own their own ability, their own riches, their own might. There are many things they want to have confidence in. But in a world without God, everybody's road is crowded and populated. And it has all of these things I've mentioned. It's empty. It's lonely. The inner peace that people strive for and seek after is never found. It can't be found because the road is parched and the road is crowded. As I read in verse 7, in the habitation of dragons where each lay, or the habitation of jackals where each lay, that means that some people are just laying down on the road in that land. They're just laying there, worn out, spent. They have nothing left. And in that land, there are people that are unpleasant. In that land, you will encounter people that don't care about you. They don't care about your family, your children. Maybe they even hurt you or your family or your children. Some of you know that in the land, there are some that that are mean. But in that line, it says, in the habitation of jackals, where each lay, or dragons. If you look in your concordance, and you see the root meaning of that word, and I have my concordance right here. The word dragon comes from the, the word tanning, or tanning. And that word, that Hebrew word means a marine monster, or a land monster. So it could be a sea serpent, or it could be a jackal, or it could be a dragon. So the original word here means it can be a dragon, but it's a a land monster or a sea monster. Now, that word comes from the root word tan, and this is what I want to show you right here, folks. The root word tan means a monster, a monster or other hideous land animal, like a jackal or a dragon. But the root word means monster. How many of us have been asked the question by our children or have heard children asking the question, Mommy, are there such thing as monsters? Daddy, are there monsters? And the children are told, no, son, no, daughter, no, honey, there's no monsters. And in the traditional sense, that's true. There are no monsters and goblins hiding in their closet. But, my friends, there is a monster out there. And according to this verse right here, it's mentioned. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of monsters, where each lay. In this passage, folks, the monster is the dragon. The dragon is the accuser. The accuser is the enemy, Satan, the devil. He is the monster. His demons are the monsters. And in the parched ground where residents of this planet want to dwell, also it's crowded with others who are mistreated and who are oppressors and who are also bullies themselves. But in addition to them out there in the world, on the path that lies before all of our feet, is a monster that dwells in our path. And how many of you know, how many of you can attest That in your life, you have encountered the monster. The monster that has wreaked havoc on you. The monster that has wreaked havoc on your children to steal their souls. Try to destroy your marriage. The monster that has tried to destroy you. The monster 
is out there, my friends. And that monster, Satan, he doesn't care about you. And if if a person wants to maintain their life away from God, away from his drink in the parts land, in the wilderness, in the wasteland, then they are going to encounter the monster. The monster that has destroyed so many. The monster that has sent so many to their grave before their time. The monster that laughs, that laughs at your discouragement, that laughs at your pain. He doesn't care about you, my friend. And when John was in that prison cell, the monster was whispering things to him. The enemy, Satan, was making sport of him. And John was in that prison cell, and he needed an answer. He needed encouragement, and he didn't know what to do. So he sent his disciples to Jesus, and Jesus said, John, look in Isaiah 35. Look in there. And look what the remedy is. And my friends, this message is also for you. If you are in your prison cell right now, and it's dark, and you're scared, and you're discouraged, you don't have enough light, and you're alone, you feel abandoned, God, where are you? Are you him? Or do I look for another? If this thing is real, I need it to work for me now. I'm worn out. I'm empty. I have nothing left, and I need a touch from God. My friend, God understands where you are right now. He understands that you want a touch from him. He understands that you're hungry for him. That's why he pointed all of us to this passage. Because look at verse 8 right now. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. My friends, Jesus came. He came to offer us a new highway, not the road that leads to destruction. He came to rescue us from that land, the wasteland, from the highway that has residents that do not care, from the highway that contains dragons and jackals that want to snip at your feet and burn you. God came to rescue you from that, my friends. And that highway points to God. That highway has a trophy at the end. That highway has others that have gone before you who are waiting at that city that has been built with hands. And the builder and the maker of that city is God. That highway is for others that find it. The others can be you, my friend. Your husband, your wife, your children. And whoever walks the road, even though he's a fool, which means he's blind, he will no longer go astray. Because on that highway, no lion, the enemy, the devil, 1 Peter 5.8, He lurks about like a a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. On the highway of holiness to God, there is no lion there, my friends. Nor shall any ravenous beast be there. The monster is not allowed on your highway, my friends. The jackal is not allowed on your highway, my friend. The dragon is not allowed on your highway. It shall not be found there, but only the redeemed shall walk there. The highway is available for every one of us. But how many times do do the, the people of God or the person that hasn't found God, how often do they deny the highway? How often do the people of God stop on the highway and go to the side of the highway and find themselves discouraged and lost, defeated, and even blind without enough light to find the highway? My friends, that highway is available for you. And I want you to turn now To Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. I'm going to show you another passage that is beautiful. Matthew 20, 29. 
Are you there, folks? Please turn there. I want you to see this. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, the road, the road, the highway, the path. Two blind men were sitting by the road. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. And then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. Stop talking. Quiet. The Lord's passing by. Quiet. You're disrupting the service. You're disrupting the master. Look what it says, folks. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now, they said it a second time. The first time they asked for mercy, and then they called him Lord, and then they knew he was Messiah. They called him son of David. And they said it two times. So these blind ones, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew that Jesus could have mercy on them. They knew that he was the Lord. Verse 32. They were crying out, my friends. Now watch this, folks. The blind ones were on their path, but they needed something from Jesus. And look what it says in in verse 32. So Jesus stood still. Jesus stopped. They were crying out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy. And Jesus stopped and he called them, got his attention, crying out to God for mercy, got his attention, crying out, asking for help, got his attention. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? They were on the side of the road. They were on that road, my friends. The crowded road. The parched road. There were bullies on that road. There were others dismissing them on that road. They knew that the road was dark. And possibly the dragon had mistreated them on the road. The jackals had snipped at them on the road. So when they were on that road, the parched road, they cried out to Jesus. And Jesus heard them. And Jesus said... What do you want me to do for you? What do you want, my friend? Are you on a parched road right now? Are you discouraged? Are you in a dark prison cell? Are you in a dark room? Are you abandoned? Are you wounded? Are you blind? Do you wish you could hear God? Do you wish that the heavens would not be brass? Do you wish that your eyes would be open to Him and you could see Him? That you could hear His voice? What do you want me to do for you? And they said to Him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. I want to see your glory. It's dark. I want to see the highway of holiness that you promised me. I want to see your remedy. Jesus, have mercy. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on my loved ones. Jesus, protect us from the radiation. Have mercy, Jesus. Verse 34, so Jesus had compassion and he touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him my friend jesus can open your eyes he can give us more understanding he can open our spiritual eyes he can fill our cup he can put balm in that wound that you have he can bring stillness to the raging storm that is over you right now he can bring comfort 
He can lift up and strengthen your feeble hands and your weak knees. He can give you encouragement where there was only discouragement. He can shine the light where there was only darkness. And He can give you tears of joy where in the past there were tears of sorrow and pain. What would you have me do for you were the words of Jesus. My friend, if Jesus were to stand before you right now and ask you that question, what would you say? God, I want to overcome. God, I want to rise up again. God, I want to be restored. God, I want to resume my journey for you. God, I need peace. I need strength. God, I need my prayers answered. God, teach me your way. There are many of you listening right now. And there are many, many requests upon all of your hearts. But the one thing that we have in common right now, my friends, is that we all need an encounter with God. Can you tell him, my friends? Can you tell him what you need? Lord, I need to be cleansed. I need to be renewed, restored. I need forgiveness. I need victory over the dragon. I need deliverance from the creatures in the night that torment me. The accuser condemns me. I need victory from the monsters in my life. The bitterness of my heart. The sinfulness of my path. The season has changed, my friends. Judgment plows over this planet. The hand of God is going to gyrate the mountains, stir the seas and tremble the heavens. And who can stand and resist the power of the Almighty Creator? He is the righteous judge. My friends, there is mercy available. The judgment is going to continue. The land is going to be plowed under. And I ask this question, which side will you be on? Will you shake your fists at the heavens and curse God? Or will you cry out like the blind ones? On the road, Lord, have mercy. Messiah, son of David, have mercy. And how many listening will fall on their knees and mourn the portion? How many of you will mourn your portion of sins? We need to all mourn our portion, my friends, because we are all guilty. We are all undone and we need a touch from him, the Savior. And that highway is so very close. Let us find them now. Let us find the renewal right now. So as we find that highway of holiness and as we partake of his living water, then can we come in and dwell in the secret place with confidence and boldness to know that we will be protected under the shelter of his wing. Father God, you see every soul, every heart, every listener. God, touch. Have mercy, son of David. Have mercy, Oh, Lord, God, hear our cries. And as you ask us, what can you do for us, Lord? Hear our prayer. Bring renewal and healing and victory, just like you did for John. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your touch. We trust in you, God. No matter what happens, we trust in you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
You. Are- 